Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. I hope you brought your Bible with you and we'll turn with me there. Paul, James, and Peter teach us that difficulty, hardship, opposition are always going to produce, not always, can produce. Isn't it funny? God uses these things to produce peace and joy in the life of a Christian. James says, count it all joy when you go through various trials. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Paul being in, under, in house arrest in Rome, and yet this common phrase of rejoicing and being in joy. And I think, you know, you look through the, all the Old Testament and you can see this buildup of when there's difficulty, it's an expression of worship that breaks through the darkness, right? It's expressions of worship. It's, it's claiming the things that we know that are true and working through those. And I want to spend a lot of time on this, but as we... Man, I, maybe one of the reasons why I'm wrestling with this is I don't want to seem ugly and angry and mean, but and I, and I don't want to rail against us. That's not my heart at all because I am us. But it seems like as we as we continue to pursue or to achieve, uh, and I don't even want to say the American dream, but comfort and freedom. It's like the more freedoms we have, the more restrictive we feel in our spirits. Does that make sense? You remember the promise of smartphones and how much easier our lives going to be? And all it did was create another addiction. So, when you look at chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul said that, or writing in response to the, to the church's letter, that there are circumstances in your life that can rob your joy. However, circumstances don't have to rob your joy if you will develop a single-mindedness. Is it, at, at any time, in any circumstance, if you will focus on the glory of God, where you are, you can have joy. Paul is under house arrest, experiencing joy, tied to a guard. In chapter 2, he talks about certain people being able to rob your joy. But if you will uh, uh, serve Jesus Christ, submit to Him, sacrifice to Him, and see yourselves submitted to one another, you can have joy no matter who you're around. So it seems that this simpleness, simplicity is a better word, simplicity and humility give birth to joy. And yet we don't often, uh, we don't often pursue simplicity and humility. But we could also many times avoid struggle. We work to avoid struggle. 
And the only growing that we do is we grow comfortable. And when we begin to grow comfortable, we begin to prefer comfort. And the comfort that we find on earth begins to allure our minds away from the eternal, and we begin to focus on the here and now. And we talk about, I don't intend any offense, but having a poverty mindset. You know, a poverty mindset isn't about money. Being, being poverty-minded isn't money. It's, it's the inability to think long, right? So it's like this, this and we deal, we deal a lot with poverty as a, as a, as a church staff, and it, the, the formula is often the same. It's this, it's this I, but I'm worried about next, like, like the next moment is the only thing that I can think about. And I can't think about my, my payments for next month. I mean, I'm focused on what am I going to eat for lunch, right? This, it's not about money. I know, I know wealthy people who have a poverty mindset because it's never enough. It's always like the here and now. But I know people who don't have much money who don't think like that. They're very generous people. I say all that say what's true in the physical world is equally true in the spiritual world. This, this new, maybe it's not even new, but it's this focus on the here and now, this focus on the issue I'm facing this moment has stopped us from being able to think long. And so we're stuck. And when we do that, we begin to focus on the here and now, we begin to look at things. Chapter 3 has to deal with the things of life that can rob you of joy. The things, t- tangible, intangible, they will rob your joy. Things like the things that you put up, the things you can touch, the gadgets, the new, the, the bigger, the better, the brighter, the keeping up with the Joneses. No offense to the Joneses but also the reputation, the, the, the tension of belonging and having credibility and influence and popularity and achievements and being so driven, those things as well. And so when you begin to get comfortable, you begin to focus on those things and you worry about what people think about you in the moment. And when we do it, we stop being able to think long. And I remember growing up, my mom teaching me I remember my mom waking up in the morning and looking at me as a little kid and saying, maybe to... Maybe today is the day that Jesus is coming back with such anticipation. But we can't think about... Today being the day Jesus is coming back, we're too busy thinking about the next. How to have a better, how to have a bigger, how to have a mm, whatever it might be. When's the last time we considered long and we played the long game? And we thought about God's glory instead of my moment. If we want the things of earth... The things of heaven are going to fade. But if we want the things of heaven, then the things of earth will fade. And when they fade, you can see through them. 
I want us to learn how to see through the things of earth so that we can see the other side and live for the other side. My heart is breaking for young people who are not learning that today may be the day. This is why, this is why living comfort, comfortably is so dangerous because it keeps our eyes here. And it's why difficulty is so beneficial is because it keeps our eyes there. A different prize. That's what Paul is teaching in chapter 3. And when you focus on the here and now, you can pile up quite a resume and you can look pretty impressive on paper. Things you work for, things you accomplish, reputation that make you proud. And you can do a lot of good things and gain a lot of good things. You can make people envy you and wish they were you and appreciate you and value you and honor you. Paul's resume, his accomplishments, his achievements, his bloodline was impressive. And he was proud of himself. And it's obvious. He was focused. He was driven. He was committed. He was successful. And none of those things brought him satisfaction. None of those things brought him joy. It seems like the more that Paul accumulated, the further away he got from the prize. Jesus changed his mindset when he converted Paul on the road to Damascus. And he used difficulty to get his attention. And Paul began to ask different questions. And what Paul decided to do was he exchanged his righteousness for Jesus' righteousness. Here, as Paul is writing, he's in a bad way. At least from an earthly perspective, he's, he's uh, from a heaven, heaven's perspective, he's exactly where he's supposed to be, right? He's under house arrest in Rome. He's in grave danger. But he's able to think heavenward. He's able to think, he puts off the temporary thinking and puts on spiritual. So again, simple-minded, simple-mindedness gives birth to joy. Submission-mindedness gives birth to joy. And here, spiritual-mindedness gives birth to joy. Drawing atten- Rather than drawing attention to himself, he puts uh, joy in the hearts of others. We're going to begin reading in just a few moments. But chapter 1, he's, he's talking about uh, uh, all the distractions, chapter 2's distractions, chapter 3's distractions, and he's building, he's building a case to help the church at Philippi not fall into the same pit that he fell into. So you look at verse 18 and 19. I don't know that we'll have time to get all the way over there or not. But he says, those who walk as enemies of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, look there for a moment. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. You see this? Enemies of the end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on what? Earthly things. So let's reverse engineer that. When your mind's set on earthly things, you will be proud of shameful things. You will desire selfish things. And that always ends in destruction. But if you look at verse 20, he says, but 
our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This word citizenship is where we get our word politics. Polyuma. It means the way that we conduct our civil affairs. It's our administration in our everyday life. It's how we walk. It's the rules and the regulations that we walk in. Our lives are on earth, but our administration is in heaven. We live and we operate by heaven's rule and by heaven's reign. And I am here, but my citizenship is there already. I hope that we understand that because what Paul is calling us to are polar opposites. Set your mind on earthly things or set your mind on heavenly things. Enemies of God set their mind on earthly things, Paul said. Followers of Jesus set their mind on heavenly things. Now I want to give you a little bit of a break because we are not our own best evaluators. Because we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. So in, because of that, the Holy Spirit gives us fruit. So you don't get to evaluate yourself by your intentions. You get to evaluate yourself by your fruit. Enemies of God, citizens of heaven. So look at the fruit that you bear in your everyday life. Is it earthly fruit? Reputations, credibility, financing? Or is it heavenly things? The glory of God, living according to His purpose, living according to His will, His way, becoming more and more like Jesus in your everyday walk. Look at your own fruit. Don't inspect everybody else's. Look at your own fruit and see what your mind is set on. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, he tells the church at Colossae the same thing. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. So what Paul is saying is that our perspective must be heaven's point of view. You say, Pastor, I know you're, you're, you're kind of talking to the church right now. We kind of get it. I know, but I feel, like, I feel like we get it here. I don't feel like we're getting it here. I feel like so many Christians, their minds are set on earth. In verse 7, Paul talks about what things were gain to him. Verse 13, he talks about what things which are behind, things which are before. When you focus on things, the tangible stuff, and the intangible self, reputation, achievements, personality, awards, even, even godly morality, when you focus on things, you cannot have joy. When you focus on things, you cannot have joy. Jesus said it very clearly in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Life does not consist in the abundance of things. 
So again, you take a quick inventory of Paul's life, considered very righteous. Anybody who knew Paul would say, boy, that Paul, he is a righteous man. Righteous means right standing. Moral, honest, eager, committed, obedient, successful. But whatever he could do, whatever things he could accumulate, all the reputation he could gain, everything led to emptiness. So there's two types of righteousness. And that's going to be kind of where we not just launch from. I'm halfway finished. But there's two types of righteousness. And if you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, there's works righteousness. And number two, there's faith righteousness. Works righteousness is all about trying to become righteous you know, it's got me as the center of it, the things I'm trying to be and the things I'm trying to do. It's the list I'm trying to compile to, to, to prove how good I am. Faith righteousness is everything that Jesus has accomplished because he saw the best list you could come up with. Works righteousness, boy, I'm telling you, righteous, yes, and works righteousness was Paul's bread and butter. Let's begin reading in verse uh, 1. Now, when I say that, I'm going to show you something, and this is like, I really need you to listen, okay? This is, there's four chapters in Philippians, chapter 1, chapter 2, and I want you to see what Paul does at the very beginning of the second part. The very first word he says in the very middle of his sermon. Do you see it? Somebody tell me what it is. Finally, okay, so let me off the hook when I say, finally, and I'm halfway through, okay? Paul does it first. This is how we know Paul was a free will Baptist, all right? Now, all joking aside, this word finally does not mean in conclusion. It means, let's change the subject here for a minute. I'm about to shift gears. That's what it means. So, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. So as I shift gears here, first things first, rejoice in the Lord. You know, as we're getting a new topic started, as we're going forward in the matter, let's start out where we should. Rejoice in the Lord. And before you think that it's a burden for me to continue to say that for you, it's not. In fact, and it is safe for you. And that word safe just means firm and reliable, like you'd put something in a safe to protect it. It's good for you for me to continue to say it. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ, who put no confidence in the flesh. He says, be, beware. These are not three different people. This is a threefold warning of one group of people. And history calls them Judaizers. Judaizers are. Jews who have converted to Christianity but have reverted back to Judaism. So they are Jews who also claim Christ and the law. Everywhere that Paul goes, he's followed by these yapping dogs. 
These Judaizers who are nipping at his heels everywhere he goes, barking and barking and barking and scaring people to death like wild dogs. And he is telling them, beware of those Judaizers. They're just dogs. Now, that sounds pretty rough. Dogs. Workers of evil. Wow. Listen, do you remember back in, in chapter 1 when they were like, Paul, there's people preaching Jesus, and they're just making things even harder on you? And Paul's like, leave them alone. I'm not in competition with those. As long as they're glorifying Jesus Christ and pointing to him, I, I, my, my battle is not with them. Here are other preachers, and he calls them evil workers. Evil. Why? They've claimed Jesus, but they also believe that it's necessary to follow the law. you got to still be a Jew. In fact, they were teaching that if you wanted to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew first. And Paul doesn't say it's extra or that it's unnecessary. Paul said that adding anything to faith righteousness is evil work. It doesn't elevate man. It tears Jesus' effectiveness down. Evil workers. You say, well, what difference does it make? Now listen to this very, very close, and we'll try to make it practical. We live in a world today where this goes on. It's like, yeah, I claim Jesus, but maybe he's not the only way to heaven. He's the one I chose. But, or, or those who say, yeah, I mean, I, I'm good, and I'm a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? I'm good. I do a lot of good things. All you're doing is adding works righteousness on top of faith righteousness. And when you add anything to faith righteousness, it nullifies faith righteousness. It will not mix. That's really the bulk of what I want to talk about today. And I don't know why there's such a tension with that, but... I feel like modern Christianity is so wrapped up in works righteousness. Are you going to go to heaven? I think so. Based on what? Do you think Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Do you think that Jesus rose from the dead? Or do you think you've done enough good to get by? That's what it boils down to. Honestly, it's humanism. And it's cloaked in Christ or Christianity. And it's not Christianity at all. It's works righteousness. And Paul says it's not just additional, it's evil. And he calls them the mutilation. He's talking here specifically about circumcision, which I'm not going to talk a whole lot about, but this was the idea was that these, these converts to Christ would have to go through circumcision to prove themselves a Jew first, because that's the proof that a person is walking in faith by the works that they allow or produce in themselves in the flesh. But Paul is teaching here that these people who are requiring this circumcision in order to become a Christian, they're just mutilated because circumcision is not effective for salvation. It's just mutilation. No, Paul says that 
The Old Testament circumcision is simply a symbol of our spiritual hearts being cut back and quickened. And if you're settling for a member of your body being circumcised, but your heart's not being changed by the effectiveness of Jesus Christ, then you're just mutilating yourself. He's pretty clear. Jesus plus anything is evil. Evil. Religious practices can't save you. Attend a church, reading your Bible, prayer, can't save you. Being baptized, belonging to a church, can't save you. No more than circumcision can. Oh, they may be good things, but they're not righteous. They don't make you righteous. They are the product of a righteous life, but they do not give birth to righteousness. Look at verse 4. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, we're not going to make it through the chapter. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. They're bragging about how faithful they are because they've went through some surgical procedure. But I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I mean, I love that Paul's not in competition. But if you want to compete, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, I was a pure Hebrew. Now, I think that there might be some... All right, he's talking to Philippi, which is actually Greek, but they're a Roman colony, so they have Roman citizenship, even though they're not Rome. And what Paul is saying is, you know, I mean, I know you're Roman citizens. I'm a pure Hebrew. I'm not just a colony. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In fact, I was circumcised on the right day by the right people in the right place. I was born of Isaac. I wasn't born of Ishmael. I was born of Jacob. I wasn't born of Esau. I was born out of the tribe of Benjamin. You know Benjamin. Benjamin was, other than Joseph, the favorite child because he was born of Rachel. He's the best one. Benjamin, you remember Benjamin. Benjamin is the, the tribe that the first king of Israel came out of, which is probably who Saul is named after. That's how Jewish he is. My name is the first name of the first king we ever had. It was Benjamin that stood up for King David, one of the only tribes that stood up for King David when Absalom was trying to make his coup for the throne. I'm out of Benjamin. And every every Jew would read that and go, wow, I never put all that together. No one, no one more Jewish than Paul. But you know what? When it came to his faith, even better. I climbed the rank. In Acts, I think it was Acts chapter 22, he talks about Gamaliel being his teacher. This was like the teacher of teachers back then. So he was my, he was my professor. Pretty quickly rose up to the rank of Pharisee. They didn't get any better than that. When it comes, <laughs> when it comes to keeping the law, watch me. Ain't nobody kept the law better than I have. In fact, if you look at the law and my life, blameless, above reproach. 
you won't find a problem with my morality. He kept the law and the traditions perfectly. But, but Paul did more than just be out of who he was. He also worked too. He defended. He wasn't just someone who had a great pedigree. He defended the faith too. He was aggressive on both sides. No one was more devoted than Paul. When it comes to standing firm in the faith, yes, but I also mowed everyone down who disagreed with us, persecutor of the church. It's almost like in this moment, he's proud of it, not proud of it. I mean, if you're going to compare pedigrees, Paul could have had any job he wanted because of his pedigree, but you know what he chose? I want to kill the opposition. That's how devoted I am. Paul had believed that who you are and what you would do would save you. Paul was a great illustration of the best humanity could do with works righteousness. So Paul gave up everything when he met Jesus. There wasn't a thing Paul lacked until he met Jesus. And then he looked at his long list and he said, useless, garbage, nothing. See, before, before Jesus, Paul looked at his flesh as a measuring tool. He only evaluated by how he looked or appeared on the outside, how he was seen, who he was. And he hoped that he would use all these things for his advantage to please God. Emptiness. Look at verse 7. Listen, when we only, like when we are able to think long, I think this is one of the reasons why we don't think long is because we don't like, we don't like our chances or we're afraid of our chances. Maybe we don't trust Jesus' work enough. So we're focused on what can I do? What can I do? How can I appear? What's my reputation going to be? And we build this huge idea and this big personality of what people expect of us. And we never consider honoring the Lord or what does the Lord think of us? When Paul saw himself the way Jesus saw him, he failed. When Paul measured his actions against Jesus' actions, he failed. Compared to others, Paul's righteous. Compared to Jesus, garbage. Verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted. That's past tense, by the way. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, present tense, as loss. This present tense means that no matter what happens, I will always be in the process of counting every good work or every accolade or every accomplishment as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss by the way, the suffer the loss means that I have experienced the destruction of it. I have watched everything I lived for destroyed in order that I might gain Christ. 
Remember earlier when he talked about those who set their mind on earthly things eventually are destroyed. Here he is saying, I'm taking my things and destroying them before they destroy me. Because they will. Mark my words. They will. You cannot mix joy in your things with satisfaction with Jesus Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul goes all the way back remembering the Damascus Road and he realizes that everything he depends on is losing. And Paul was a microcosm of all the Pharisees of that day. You remember, he did, he did what they should have done. Remember, all the Pharisees, and we've been looking at that over the last couple of months, but all the Pharisees that watched Jesus, they listened to Jesus, they saw him resurrect Lazarus from the dead, but they would not believe. Here. Paul, same situation. They, he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And you know what Paul does? I believe. I believe. He did what they should have done. Laid down their righteousness for his righteousness. Paul said, whatever was gained to me then took me further and further away from joy and purpose and satisfaction. This means that all of the good works, all the advantages that we use to impress God, useless. All of the humanitarian, all of the, I'm just going to cut through it and say good works. All the things that, we, that make us feel good about ourselves are not selfless. Do you realize that? that? All the good things that we do are not selfless. They're actually just the opposite. Because works righteousness is selfishness. It puts self on the throne. There's no such thing as a good work apart from Jesus Christ. He is the good work. He and He alone. Every other work apart from the glory of Jesus Christ is an evil work because it glorifies self and it takes us further and further away from the thing we're hoping that it will produce. When you focus on things, you cannot have joy. Because joy comes from focusing on what we have in Him, not what we have in us. Paul says it so it's when you really lose yourself that you're able to finally find Jesus. So those are the losses. Here are the gains. When you give up everything that you've trusted, everything that you value, your gains always surpass your losses. So look at this progression. Verse 8, he says, Knowing Jesus as my Lord. 
Now, this isn't a knowing about Jesus, obviously. Paul knew about Jesus even before Damascus. Paul is talking about knowing him as Lord. We talked about this last week. Jesus is Lord. If he is Lord, what does it mean to give him complete control? I am yours. Use me. Living in his presence, this acute, constant, intentional awareness of Jesus' presence. This particular word that Paul uses here is a personal yet a very uh, general word for knowledge of Jesus. It's it's a knowledge of Jesus' way. It's a knowledge of Jesus' life, of his morality, of his right and his wrong, of his love and his direction. It's this idea of who he was and knowing it. This is why Paul moves to verse 9 so quickly. Once we understand the way of Jesus, his path, we not only gain knowledge of what he is and who he is, but that he then puts that inside of us. We get his righteousness when we forfeit our own. I know this is elementary stuff, but I'm afraid that we have forgotten it. Paul wanted to be righteous. He worked all of his life to be righteous. But Paul's righteousness left him empty. The bad thing is, I don't think we're taking very good. When Paul says, I count, I count, that word means like to become the governor of. Like I'm the the leader of being able to take an, an inventory or an evaluation of something. I don't think that we spend much time taking an evaluation of what we're actually becoming. Are we becoming more like Jesus or are we becoming more comfortable Christians? What's the goal? To have favor here or to have favor with Him? To have comfort next or to live eternally in His presence? What guides our minds, our thoughts? We get His righteousness when we forfeit ours. I think it's one of the biggest problems we face as modern American Christians. We want to become a people who want Jesus' righteousness added to our own. Christians who measure themselves by themselves like Paul did. Who love their identity and being good, but have forgotten what it means to live for God. In the end, we'll find that we're not living for God at all, but for self. Look at a couple more gains. Verse 10 and 11. The fellowship of Christ, that I may know Him. This is a different, kind of the same word, different, different, uh, different way to use it. This usage of know is much more relational. It's like, it's like a relationship with Him. I, I know Him intimately. Paul moves from knowing Jesus' way, having Jesus' righteousness applied to our lives, and now we actually gain Jesus himself. We don't only get his path, we don't only get his plan, but we also get him. No matter where we are, if we're in Philippi reading a letter or if we're in a Roman house under arrest, Jesus is with us and the power of his resurrection. Paul says, with him, when I'm with him, I also get the power of not the resurrection, the power of his 
resurrection. Yet every other resurrection has its power in Jesus' resurrection, right? He didn't just give us our own personal resurrection, our resurrection. His is the first fruits, the first resurrection, the one that every other resurrection is birthed out of and share in his sufferings. Now listen, I know I'm moving through this pretty fast, but when you get Jesus' life, you get Jesus' way. When you get Jesus' way, you get Jesus' righteousness. When you get him, when you get him, you get his power. And when you live in his power, it seems like it's an advantage to receive his suffering. You hear this? We're not talking about comfort. When you get his way, you get his righteousness. When you get his righteousness, you get him. When you get him, you get the power of the resurrection. When you get that, it's almost like to be able to suffer for him is a joy. Why? Because I begin to think about things differently. When I suffer, I'm not thinking about next. When I suffer, what am I doing? I'm seeking out for the Lord. I'm beginning to learn how to think long. It's like when, when Stephen is being stoned with Paul standing right there, what is Stephen doing? Is he trying to get out of the moment? No. He looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Man, wouldn't it be great if, if we suffered in such a way that we could see Jesus in the throne room? I'm telling you, you will not do it if you're depending on works righteousness. Only faith righteousness produces this. Jesus and Jesus. There is a better way than just being good people. Good people. Good people will not go to heaven unless their goodness is rooted in Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And He goes a step further. Because even in death, we are becoming like Him. Listen, when you seek joy in circumstances, when you seek joy in people, when you seek joy in things, death is the enemy. But when you find joy in Jesus, even death is joy. Paul's had a major shift, major shift in his thinking. And he helps us shift Hours. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry and read through verse, here, verse 12. He says, not that I've already attained this, meaning become perfected in the death in Jesus Christ. I'm not becoming like, I've not quite become like him yet from the verse 11. Or I'm already perfect, which means completely mature in Christ. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What Paul is saying is in this present position I am, there's still growth to do. Listen, Paul is being persecuted for his faith. He's at the point of maybe finding out tomorrow what his sentence will be. And he says, not that I've obtained. I mean, I've still got a lot of work to do on myself. <laughs> I'm not satisfied with my growth He's what most Christians would strive to be, but he still recognizes the need for growth. Is that a prayer? Is that a prayer we could pray? Is 
that, is, that a, is that like a prayer? Is that something that we could do? And just say, Lord, I recognize I've been walking with you for this long. I've led this, I've started this many churches. I've led this many people to the Lord. And I think I'm just going to put her in neutral. I'm just going to start showing up at things, go through the same motions, say the same words. I've learned so much, Lord. I think I'm, I think I'm just going to tap out right here. Or could we pray, Lord, I've not obtained all that you have for me yet because I still see parts of my life that don't look like Jesus. And I'm pressing on toward that. That word pressing on means like, you ever seen runners run a race and when they get right to the finish line, what do they do? I mean, really doesn't even matter if anybody is beside them. What do they do? Every one of them. Right? Why? I don't know why they do that. It's like, Maybe, I don't know, what is shorter than a millisecond? I'm not sure. Man, I, no matter what, I want to oh, get, get all of this I can. Everything that you want for me, Lord, I want for me. And I'm going to live. And it's so funny, too, because Paul doesn't talk about finishing the race right then. He's talking about in every moment of his life, living, lunging toward Jesus. Pastor, you're talking about like extremes. They're just words. He doesn't mean that. He lived it. What if we were to begin to, in every moment, live in a state of lunging? To be able to pray, God, whatever it is that you want for me, yes. If you reveal it to me, yes. Whatever you have for me, yes. I will not be getting in the way. I want for me what you want for me to have. I want to be what you want me to be. And everything else, Paul says, is garbage. That word literally translated is dung. It's a pile. Everything else I want in life is a pile. I just want what you want for me. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, one thing I do, <laughs> forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. You see that, that, that bypassing the temporary to what lies ahead? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Looked at the rich young ruler. He said, boy, you're good with this works righteousness stuff. But this one thing you lack, and it's your money that's holding you back. It's not money. It's the money that was clouding his ability to see the one thing. Right there was Jesus, but the rich young ruler was lunging toward his things. Martha was so busy working, working, working. Jesus said, Martha, there is one thing that's needed. Right here I am, and Mary is lunging toward me in this very moment. I think about the blind man. That they said, did Jesus heal you? He said, I don't know. This one thing I know, 
right? The writer of Psalms says, One thing I desired of the Lord. Paul said here, This one thing, one thing, God forgive us, should be our identity. Lunging toward the prize of being conformed to be like Jesus. And our past and all of our things, we need to forget all of our things and lunge as we run toward Jesus Christ. Christian, we are stretching out to so... Have you ever felt just stretched so thin? So many things that we are reaching out to. How in the world could we ever keep up? We need to reset. Paul isn't looking for a balance in his faith and a balance in his life. For those of you who are looking for balance, it leads to destruction. There's no such thing as balance. I am warning you this day, there is no balance between faith and life. Life is Jesus lunging toward Him in every way. If you're trying to walk in two identities, Paul said, let me warn you, Christians, this one thing should be your identity. Stretching out for the prize, the upward call of Jesus Christ. Paul uses, just to clarify, he uses this word, I press on. It means to follow after. Like a full court press in basketball where the defense is following after the offense. It carries the idea of intensity. The Greeks used it to refer to a hunter that was pursuing his prey. Paul uses it as a Christian pursuing his Savior. Now, as we close, I look at verse 16, and verse 16 tells us that there is a possibility of forfeiture of our growth. I don't know that Paul has in mind our salvation in this verse, but certainly a forfeiture of our growth. That roller coaster, tick, 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 tick. Paul says, oh, Christians, you better be careful. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Wherever we are is going to take work to keep it there, but we need to press forward. Hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to what we have and keep reaching. Let's pray together. Lord, we're proud of us. We've done a lot of good things. We've done a lot of good things. A lot of things the world pats us on the back. Tells us how great we are, how proud they are of us. Matthew 7, 
There are many say in that day, we've done a lot of good things. Depart from me, ye who work iniquity, you evil workers. I never knew you. Scariest passage in Scripture, as far as I can tell. Those who think they can be saved with a work's righteousness, only to find out it ends in destruction. You know, week from week, week to week, I may ask if you know you're not right with the Lord, if you're not saved, slip your hand up. Very rarely does that happen anymore. I recognize that people don't either feel comfortable or convicted to come to an altar anymore. But, and I'm throwing myself in the, in the ring on this. This isn't, a, this isn't a rebuke. It is a consideration for us not to measure ourselves by ourselves. But when you see Jesus, when you truly see Jesus, you will fall on his grace and at his mercy. When you compare yourself to Jesus, you will fall before the throne. And we won't be patting ourselves on the back for how good we are. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to take anything away from you. What I am wanting us to do, and I'm not even wanting to, to reconsider anything. I want us to understand that there is fruit involved when we trust the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if we can come to church week after week and never consider whether or not we are lunging toward Jesus in our life, then we're not evaluating properly. And secondly, if we are, then why in the world are we not experiencing revival? Why are we not seeing people saved? Why are we not sharing our faith? Why are we not getting people to fall in love with Jesus and to lunge with us? A little later in this passage, Paul is actually going to say, imitate me. Imitate Paul. I mean, I don't want to be chained to a guard in Rome. Paul's leading people to the Lord in Rome, in a, under house arrest, and chained to a guard. I'll tell you, one of the things I think that happens is, and you look in, you look, look in the New Testament, you won't see people getting saved at an altar in a church. I'm not saying that they don't. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. What I'm saying is when God's people love Jesus Christ, they get saved in the street, in the cubicle, at the fence. They get saved wherever God's people are because they see God's people lunging toward joy and toward hope and toward peace. And you may say, well, Pastor Blaine, I don't know how to share my faith. I understand that. So let's keep lunging. Let's keep lunging. Let's let Jesus be on our lips. I'm telling you, we are perhaps minutes away from the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we live like we've got millennia. But there's people not very far from here who don't have days and they're lost. And maybe today is the day that Jesus will return. And maybe it won't be. But maybe this is the day that someone can meet him.
May God give us the gift of evangelism, the gift of spreading. This is a fruit that we're trusting the efficacy of Jesus Christ and his salvation. Walking in the power of the resurrection. Oh, that I might know him and find joy even in death and laying my life down for him. Pray that God would warm us up. Pray that God would stoke our fire. Pray that he would release us as a movement of Jesus' followers, not only here, but around the world. This one thing. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. we come to you today all we have we look at we can evaluate him pretty quick all we have his excuses justifications certificates it's just it's garbage oh that we might know Jesus Thank you for the salvation that we find in him. Lord, we are sorry for what we've turned it into. How we may not preach circumcision, but we definitely preach works. Whether we preach it, we live it. Help us today to find a place of repentance. Lord, we know that you grant it. Help us to repent. Cut our hearts back. I'm going to give you just a moment. I know, I know it's late, but you got an extra hour last night. Give me just a moment, please. Just keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and I want us this morning just to take a moment and evaluate. And I'd love for you, right where you are, if you want to come forward, you can, but right where you are, please just confess so that you might be filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lay all your piles down and take up Jesus. Take just a moment and give it to him. all the things that you're proud of that you think might give you special favor. The historical stories you tell about a time. for your mercy and your grace and your peace. 
Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that your righteousness does not require a certain level of ours. I think of growing up and going to bake sales and walking up to a little handful of change and, and saying, what can I get for this? I remember that one person that said, you can get whatever you want for that. <laughs> I didn't know that grace then. But we look at the throne today and we open our hands and we say, what can we get for this? It's useless, it's meaningless, it's worthless. But all you require is our open hand. And we get it all. The power of the resurrection, the way, the walk, the Savior himself. And so, Lord, as we go, whatever difficulty we have to experience, Lord, it is a joy knowing that we are investing in to be able to even die for your name. Such a joy. It brings joy. Everything brings joy when you are the center. Lord, help us to move our eyes from things and stuff and self and as they fade may we see into heaven and set our minds there this morning if you found the grace to pray don't don't ever stay, stay in a posture of prayer but if this morning you were able to pray and just lay it down, even if you laid it down for the very first time, you may be here today and not be a Christian. Will you be honest enough to slip up your hand and say, Pastor Blaine, today I laid my righteousness down and I'm taking up Jesus. Will you slip your hand up? I see that hand. Anybody else? Today I laid it down. I see that hand. Anybody else? Lord, we just give you praise and we give you glory today. For those this morning that have acknowledged the need to lay it down and to give it to you. Lord, we trust you and you alone. And because of that, we lunge toward you and you alone. We lift up the name of Jesus and Jesus only. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.